What's an exciting day today at the Oaks, is it not? And that's fun. As a pastor of 24 years, I loved Vacation Bible School, and I miss miss that so much. So it's been fun. Thank you for letting me be a part of Vacation Bible School. And pastor Heath wants to be here so badly, but uh, he's setting a vision for you, the church, for uh, some exciting opportunities to share Christ uh, in another context, another culture. So be praying for him, would you? And Jamie, she finishes up Vacation Bible School and then moves into camp this week. Now, today, we just have a few moments together, but uh, have you noticed that some things we really don't teach, we should maybe teach? Uh, like, I recently had to rediscover how to breathe. You know, I was, uh, my oldest son wanted to learn how to ride a road bike, and he bought a road bike. That's not a motorcycle, it's a bicycle that has a bunch of gears and and you put on a helmet and spandex pants, and you hope nobody runs you over. Well, I got one, too. And to do 100 miles on a bike, he for graduation, he wanted uh, to ride in the hotter than heck 100. And, uh, and I'll be there at the finish line, and it's not called that, but that's the Baptist name for it. But you have to breathe differently if you run or you ride a bike like that. And so I had to train myself how to inhale through my nose and then purse my lips and blow out through pursed lips because that forces the oxygen to stay in your lungs. It oxygenates you, and you say, it's no big deal. Well, get on a road bike and try to do 100 miles and see if it doesn't make the difference to you. So, you know, we wouldn't think we'd have to learn how to breathe. A couple of years ago, I found out that I'm borderline diabetic. I had to learn how to eat. You know, you think eating, what's the big deal? Anybody can eat, right? I had to spend $120 an hour hiring a dietitian to teach me how to eat. Food is not just food, right? There's different kinds of food, and you have to have a certain amount of each kind. And I had to learn to eat. You wouldn't think you have to learn how to eat, right? What about deciding? Vacation Bible School is about making decisions to trust God, not to fear. How do you make a good decision? Recently, I was reading in Luke chapter 14, a passage that really, for most of us, it's a high water mark in the teachings of our Lord Jesus. And I saw a pattern there for how we make decisions. Do you have a matrix, a metric, a a, a paradigm, a a plan, a process, a grid? Do you have a step-by-step process for making decisions? Well, I'd like to recommend one today found in God's Word, Luke chapter 15. Would you open there, please? Luke chapter 15. And let's listen to Jesus talk about the cost of discipleship. Now, most of us know this passage really well. It's a great passage, and it's kind of a shocking passage, too, I'll tell you. But but as you move through it, you'll say, I don't know if I see a pattern. I think you will when we're done, but just a simple pattern. Because when you think if Jesus is going to tell us, here's the cost of being one of my disciples... Here's the cost of becoming a follower of me. That in that, he'd have a pattern. Let's read together. Luke 14, verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to him, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters. Isn't that a great Father's Day passage? I think you'll see that it will be. I think you'll see that it will be. It, It shocks me. I mean, all my life it kind of just stood out to me like, what? 
our loving Jesus, our Jesus who, who said that, that we, are, we are to love with a God kind of love and showed us that love, shocks us, does he not, by saying, hey, here, here's what I want you to think about today. You need to learn to hate. Is that what he's saying? That a true follower of Jesus Christ hates? He's a hater. I don't think so, but he has our attention. Yet even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So we know it's serious. This is a big one. You can't be a disciple or a follower of Jesus Christ if you don't listen to what I'm saying. This is about you following me on the road of the journey in your life towards the kingdom of God in heaven. If anyone does not carry his cross and follow me, he cannot be my disciple. Now he has two illustrations, and I want you to hear them. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower, this great tower, this skyscraping tower. Will he not first sit down, estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and he's not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build, (laughs) he's not able to finish. Second illustration, verse 31. Suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider, key word consider, underline the word consider, whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000. If he's not able, he'll send a delegation while the other's still a long way off. He'll ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up the stuff he has in his attic. Wait. Anyway, in the same way, if anyone does not give up the stuff he has in that junk stuff drawer. No, that's not. In the same way, any of you does not give up everything he has. Cannot be my disciple. I think there's a great pattern here. I'd like to explore it with you. We don't have a lot of time, but we got time for this because God's here. And God wants you to know that decision making is right where He lives. God intersects your life at the point of decisions, the smallest decision you make, the largest decision you make. I believe the three largest decisions you'll make in your life are ahead for these vacation Bible school children and for most many of us in this room. The three largest decisions we make in life is the choice of a life's philosophy, what you're going to believe. Are you going to do like it says in the vacation Bible school model? Don't fear, but trust God. I mean, who, who do you trust? Who, what is your worldview? What is your life's philosophy? I've made that decision. 16 years of age, I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord, and I said, I'm going to follow you no matter what. The second decision is the choice of a life's vocation. What are you going to do with your life? And that may morph, that may change. What are you going to do with your life? And the third one is the choice of a life's mate. Who's going to walk with you as you follow your your philosophy or live out your life, how you live out your life? So those are decisions that we think are big. So you may be putting one of those in your mind today going, I've got one of those ahead of me. Or maybe you've got a much smaller decision. It really doesn't matter. I'm just saying this, these three steps will help you make any decision. And I believe they can be found right in this passage. The first step in making a good decision is to start at the finish. Well, that doesn't make sense. We start at the start, right? Where do you start? Step one. No, no, Jesus said, that's a mistake many make. He said, would you consider this man who wanted to build a tower? He was going to build a skyscraper, and he, and he set out to build it, and this is how he did it. He said, you know, I'm just going to build a tower, and, 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 the, and someone probably came alongside and said, hey, uh, did you get the permits? 
Anybody ever been on a building committee or on a building plan? Man, the first service raised his hand when I said, have any of y'all served on the building committee to build this beautiful auditorium? He raised his hand uh, and he caught me afterwards and talked to me about the steps. You have to have permits. You have to make sure you have funding. You have to make sure that you have great plans, detailed plans to hand to the contractor. Well, here's this contractor and he's building a tower like this. Uh, what do you, what do you, you got the manpower? I don't know. You got the materials? Yeah, maybe. And he just didn't really count the cost. He didn't think about the finish line. And so they mocked him and said he, he didn't finish. He didn't know how to finish. In the Greek, in the original language, the New Testament's written in Greek, there's two words for the word finish, and they're both here. One word is the word that means to complete a process. Like, like for Jamie and for the team, Vacation Bible School was a process. There's a lot of planning. A lot of things had to come together. I love when you pointed to one teacher and said, you lead that. And another teacher, you lead that. And you lead that. So Vacation Bible School is like that. It all came together. Did you do it all, Jamie? No, it was a lot of people. You ever cooked a Thanksgiving meal? It's a process. Something in the oven, something on the stove, something in the microwave, something uh, just warming, something, uh, something being prepared that's just got to be mixed cool temperature. I mean, it's a process. And then it's a great feeling, is it not, to stand up and say to your family, it's ready. It's finished. They haven't started eating. What do you mean? All the processes of putting that meal together, that banquet is ready. Jesus said, I want my people to be people that think about preparing their, the meal of their lives to where it all comes together right. And you can say to God, it's ready. Here's my life. Here's the decision. Here's what I did with me, who you made. And the second word for finish is the word for a finish line. I told you my son is going to run in the hotter than heck hundred. I hope to be at the finish line with my camera. I hope to capture on his face, uh, on my camera, the look on his face when he crosses that 100 miles on his bike. Some of you had that experience, right? You've run a race or you've carried the football over into the end zone, or you've crossed the plate, the feeling, a great feeling of, of touching home plate. The Rangers have not had that feeling as much as they need to have that feeling. Amen? That home plate feeling. We're not feeling it. It's a great feeling, is it not? Finish to cross home plate. And, and God is saying, listen, I want you to put in your mind's eye what you want your life to look like, what you want this decision to be like. And some of you are thinking about marriage and who you'll marry. And so you think, what will that look like? Well, well, you don't think about the wedding day. So much time spent on the wedding day. I asked my pastor for my wedding vows. I didn't know what they were. And since that day, I've used those wedding vows for every wedding I've ever done, including my three children. And it says something like this. No, it says this, for richer, for poorer, in sickness, and in health, until death do us part. You weren't able to be in the first service. I looked at some sweet widows, and they got little tears in their eyes. As I said, some of you have fulfilled that. And I looked at a couple of them and said, you did good, you know. They made that finish line. You have to think about that before you get married. Am I going to be able to live out that commitment, that covenant with this woman, with this man? And so that's a big decision. Well, well, you start at the finish line. You start at the rocking chair. 
years. You start at the back porch thinking, now we have grandkids. How we do? So at, before you ever get married, think about the rocking chair years. Or think about the graveside. But think about it. Jesus said, I don't want you to be like the guy that built the tower. That's going, I don't know. I just drew it together. What's your marriage like? I don't know. What's your career like? I don't know. But, but what's your calling like? I don't know. We should know. Do you know what you want to, to give to God as a response or to, to his great salvation? Do you know what he's saying to you? Do, you? do you have a picture in your mind's eye of your finish line faith? I'm not a neurologist and I'm not the son of a neurologist, but I read an article not too long ago about how our minds work when we set goals. Listen, everybody, how, do you, how does your mind work when you set goals? Do you know? Uh, and I'm just going to put it in layman's term. In fact, is a couple of Sundays ago, I was preaching at First Baptist Wichita Falls and uh, a PhD in psychology. I had lunch with her afterwards, and she said, that's a great lay description, a great lay description. So this is a lay description of how your mind works when you set goals. When your mind sets goals, when you set a goal, you, the synapse on the back of your brain fire like spark plugs, I guess. And I said, like spark plugs? She goes, well, yeah, they fire. And they send messages to your optic nerve telling you what to regard and what to disregard. Hear me? Optic nerves fire, synapse fire, send messages to your optic nerves telling you what to regard and what to disregard, what to see and what to put off in the peripheral of your... So in other words, what's going to be on the radar of your life? When you set a goal, God made your mind to where you see things and you disregard things. Are you with me? No, you're not with me, but I can help you get with me. Lori and I met married at a church in Arlington, big church, two or three thousand, and uh, we were—I was a young businessman, and she was a teacher, and so we were at a church full of young people like this, and there was not one pregnant woman in the church. I don't know how it happened; it's just crazy. Not one pregnant woman. How do I know? Well, I didn't see them. And one week, Lori and I got on our knees by our couch and prayed, "Oh God, if it's your will, give us a child." And we went to church the next Sunday. Guess what I saw everywhere? Guess what? It was a miracle. You probably read about it in the Star Telegram. There were pregnant women everywhere. I was just pointing and going, look at her. She is in her night. She's about to domino. Look at her. Call 911. She's in labor right now. If she's not, she should be. What happened? God's people, what happened? It's the miracle of, of the... No. What happened was synapse fired, optic nerves regard pregnant women, right? Am I right? Well, some of you men may may or may not know about pregnancy. I don't know on Father's Day, but I'm telling you, you know about this. About six weeks ago, six Fridays ago, my wife was thinking about me, and I was driving a a 1999. I would have won the contest. With mileage, I definitely would have won the contest. 1999 Chevy Silverado being held together with duct tape and baling wire. And after my wife's saying, I do, these are the second most beautiful words she ever said to me. Five Fridays, six Fridays ago. Honey, your truck's wearing out. Go buy yourself a truck. I thought I heard the angels singing. This is incredible. For two weeks, I'm driving around Texas, because thank you, you... The cooperative program, as you give to this church, it, it helps missionaries like me travel around the state, training and teaching and evangelism. So anyway, I'm, I'm driving around, and guess what I see on, on I-20 or, or 67? It, it, there is not a car on the road. You know what there was? Truck. Trucks. You know, you take your iPhone or your iPad, and you go, 
or you take a, a, a camera and you zoom. I, I, there were, the trucks were, I saw a couple of cars there, real tiny cars. You know, I saw F-150s, Silverados, Rams, Tundras, Titans. They were everywhere. You know why I saw them? Synapse fired, optic nerves, regard, regard. It's how God made you. When I first stepped in this auditorium, I saw something you didn't pay attention to. It's called the clock. There's a little red clock right back there. It's a goal of mine to get through on time. We're not going to make it. (laughs) But hear me. This is important. God created you to be a goal-setting person. Set a goal. Start at the finish. What's the finish for you? When you're making a decision... And sometimes we don't do this. We're about to make a bad decision, get in a relationship we shouldn't get into, and we don't stop and think, how's this going to look five months or five years from now? If I get in this relationship with this woman who's not my wife, well, what's it going to look like five years from now, ten years from now? I'm not going to make the rocking chair years. Do we start at the finish? Start at the finish. Number two. Number two. Also, Tailgate with your heavenly father. Now, I know that sounds like football tailgating. That's neat. That's great. Uh, I I don't mean that. I want you to see what I'm saying in verse 31. A king is about to go to war against another king. Will he first sit down and consider? The word is consider there is so rich. In, in, In the original, the word means to sit down with someone who can give you advice and take their counsel, to take their advice. It's like, here's my mentor. I'm going to take his counsel and listen to him, listen to her as she, he guides me, my mom or my dad, someone that can guide me in life's journey. So he says, here's the second illustration I want you to consider. The key word, the operative word here is a king that didn't consider that with 1,000, he couldn't take on 2,000 or with 10,000, he couldn't take on 20,000. He never sat down with his cabinet and said to his military counsel, are we going to be able to survive this thing? And so what did he have to do? He had to make terms of peace and he became a vassal a slave, a servant of the other king. So that's what happens when we make bad decisions. We become a servant of someone we never meant to serve. So he said, the Lord is saying, the second step in good decision-making is to learn to take my counsel. I call that tailgating. And let me explain what I mean. I was raised on a ranch halfway between Houston and Dallas. And my dad used to put me up on the tailgate of a pickup truck when I was 12 He'd back the pickup truck into a field that he was going to buy, and he'd sit a 12-year-old, me, up on the tailgate and say, son, we're going to buy, we're thinking about buying this 200 acres acres down on the creek bottom. What do you think? Now, I'm asking you, how many of you have ever taken a 12-year-old aside and asked them about buying real estate? What kind of dummy would do that? He's called my daddy, so I can call him a dummy, you can't. He said, man, I said, I don't know, Dad. We might should do that. But, you know, what kind of a dummy? A great dad does that. So we'd buy the land. I said, we ought to maybe buy it. And he said, that's a good idea. I think we'll buy it. And then he'd back me up after we bought it and say, back the pickup truck, put down the tailgate, pop me up with the tailgate. And he'd say, son, I sent soil samples down to Texas A&M, and this is the report. And it's got three different parts of soil that have to be really balanced for something to grow. And he said, this is the report. It looks like it's low on one of these. And I would see the graph and he would, I would say, dad, what's this word? Nitrogen. He said, well, maybe it's low with that. I said, yes, low on nitrogen. And he said, what do we do? He said, dad, maybe we need to put some nitrogen in there. And I said, he said, you're good at this. You're good at this. I, I said, well, dad, we'll just get some nitrogen. And so he ordered 
the feed store to come out and put nitrogen on it. And then he went back to pick up truck again. And he'd sit me up on the tailgate and he said, look how green it is. It's growing. You're good at this. Man, he took my counsel, but really he was teaching me how to be a good farmer and, and how to make good decisions. And here's what he was teaching me, that my father taught me that I could trust him and put my hand in his hand. And you know what he did? He put my hand in the heavenly father's hand. And so now I learned it's really important every morning to get on the tailgate with my heavenly father and spend time with him. I know that's a metaphor. It's a picture, but I want you to have that picture. You make one work for you. But I call it breakfast with Jesus now. I get up every morning and I imagine that I'm on the tailgate with my Heavenly Father. I'm saying, this is a great day. And he's saying to me, with a finite mind. My dad has an inf- uh, has a fi- finite mind. But my, my Heavenly Father has an infinite mind. So my Heavenly Father, who knows everything, can do everything. He sits me on the tailgate and he says, Scott, what are we going to do today? And he guides me through life. I cannot make it through life, if I don't have every day, hear me, every day, having my day begin with Jesus. Do you have breakfast with Jesus? He says, I don't know how to do that. Well, uh, here's how I do it. And, and I have uh, several degrees in this. <laughs> You're going to think I don't. I get a cup of coffee and I brew coffee. Anybody here, can you brew coffee? Raise your hand real quickly. Or tea or some beverage. Can you pour milk or orange juice? Raise your hand. Okay. I get a beverage. I like coffee. Amen. And I get a Bible, and I open where I left off yesterday, and I read. How many verses do you read? Until something happens. It's sometimes three verses, sometimes ten verses. I just read until God says, oh, we ought to talk about this. Is that complicated? I used to have complicated models. Now i got one called Tailgate with Father. I'm going to sit down, and we're going to talk, and he's going to tell me what I need to think about when it comes to the decision because I cannot afford to make this decision without my Heavenly Father. I cannot afford that. I've got to hear from him. Third step, and we're done. We're going to get to it. Really? Ready? Okay, well, let's go back to the hard passage. We finish with the third step. We go back to verse 25. This is the tough one, everybody. If anyone does not come to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, I'm just saying, God, count me out. I, I, I can't do that. I mean, years I said, God, you can't put me in this position of telling me to hate my dad, my mom. I love them. What are you saying? And, and here's what he's saying. He's not saying literally hate your parents. It's called hyperbole. If you're an English major, it means to throw beyond, to get someone's attention by saying this, hate them. And you're going, what? The most loving person who's ever lived said, let me tell you what you got to do, hate. And you go, oh, you have my attention. That's what he means. You have my attention. Now talk to me. He's saying, okay, here's what I want you to think about. Now listen, maybe it was your dad or your mom that puts you in the place where you are. You wouldn't be where you are, the good place you are, without your mom or dad. They have meant so much to you, but maybe it was your sister or brother or your wife or, or somebody like that. But it, I'm going to ask you, everyone in this room, no matter who it is, to find someone, to put someone in your mind that really, if it wasn't for that someone, you wouldn't be here where you are. You wouldn't be the person you are. You wouldn't be blessed the way you are. They have made your life bearable, even successful. Now, I want you to take that person and put that person the way you feel about them right here in your gut, okay? Okay, it doesn't have to be your mom or dad. It could be a coach. It could be a teacher. Someone that's really meant a lot to you. Just hold on right there. That feeling you have for them, right? It could be. For me, it is my wife, Lori. So I'm going to grab the feeling I have about my wife, Lori, and how she stained me as a pastor and as a minister through some really hard times. And I'm going to hold on to her, bore my children. But you get your person, all right? Everybody got it right there. Mm. 
the way you feel about them. You take a bullet for them. Someone say something bad about them over your dead body. You got them? Hate them. Now he has your attention. What is he really saying? What is he really saying? Well, he goes on to say, take up your cross. Give everything. What is he saying? Now, now I'm, we're running out of time, so you've got to pay real close attention here because we're going to jump over some steps, touch them quickly. This passage is amazing. What he's saying is, with me, the Lord Jesus said, with me and with me alone, you need to take this third step in decision making. The third step is say yes to me before I ever ask you anything. Let me say that again. The Lord Jesus is saying to you, learn to say yes to me before I ever ask you anything. Now, now it begins to make sense to me. And my wife is very dear to me. My, my mom and dad are very dear to me. But if my little four foot two mom came in this door right now, she came running forward and she said, she came walking forward, she goes, Scott, come on. I'd have a hard time not walking out. I want to finish this sermon. We want to have an invitation. We want to hear what the Lord is saying to us. But if my mom walked in and said, come on, I just go, I couldn't stop myself, right? Because she's my mom. But, I pro- but, but my dad, I mean, the trust I have for them. My wife, if she said, come on. But even then, mom, dad, brother, sister, you're thinking about the person you really love. I, I have not come to the place, even with my wife, where I say to her, I will say to you, yes, no matter what you ask. Every year that we're married, it gets better, but she hasn't created me and formed me. She's not my creator. She's my wife. She has not died on the cross for my sins. She has never said, greater love hath no man than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. And then then John went on to say in 1 John, now we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life, and that word is so amazing and beautiful. He offered his life in our stead. So there's only one person who's ever lived that has laid down his life for me to give me forgiveness and eternal life, and that is Jesus. So he's the only person I know that created me and loves me completely. So if he says, Scott, I'm going to ask you something, I'll say, before you ask, before you ask, here's the answer. The answer is yes. Now, some of you look at me like you're crazy. I don't even think that way. I'm going to encourage you to think that way. That's what he means when he says all this. By contrast, by contrast, mom, dad, brother, sister, loved one, grandpa, grandma, wife, all the coach, teacher, by contrast, they are nothing compared to this great love, this great love that we've seen in Jesus Christ. And so how do I compare it? It's like hate. It's not hate, but it's like hate. It's not hate, but it's like hate. I love you, God. You love me first. You love me and sent your son to die for me. And your son, your beautiful son, died on the cross for my sins that I might be forgiven. And so here's the answer before you ever ask. You're calling me into ministry. Here's the answer. Yes. Yes. And that's the love and response and obedience each one of us need to have if we're going to make good decisions. You said, I don't want to do that. I don't really want to say yes before he asks. You won't make good decisions. I'm telling you based upon this word, which is God's word. For you to make good decisions, you must fix your mind on the end game. You must then spend every morning of each day saying, God, we're going to get to that end game. What do you want to say to me? And then third, you must say yes before he ever asks. Now, I'm going to put this together like this. I want to go beyond the rocking chair years with my marriage. I want to go beyond what some of you may say to Pastor Heath Marion. Wouldn't it be great if you said to Pastor Heath, that wasn't that bad of a sermon. 
You told him that, and then he could tell me. Or maybe you'll catch me on the way out. That would be cool. Good sermon, not bad sermon. As a dummy, you're not too bad. But, but here's what I'm saying. We go beyond a good thing you could say, which would make me feel good, or, or a fulfillment of my calling, or, or marriage. We go beyond all these things. Here's what I want to hear. I want to go beyond this life. There is a time in my life when I'm going to stand before God in heaven, and he's going to say something to me. I hope he says this. Does anybody take a wild guess at what I want Jesus to say to me? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Vacation Bible school workers, look at me just real quick. I think you're going to hear that. Well done. Well done. Well done. I want to hear that, don't you? So this is the end game for me. This is the finish line. I want to hear my Father in heaven say, well done. And so every morning I get up and say, how are we going to get there? And this is the key ingredient for me to get there. I have to say, because of your great love for me, before you ever ask anything of me, the answer is yes. What about you? Are you there? If you want to make good decisions, this is the pattern. I want to say it one more time. Start at the finish. Number two, tailgate with your father every morning. Spend time with, in prayer with him every morning. And number three, learn to say what? Yes, before he ever asks a thing. Okay. 